Here, hold on. Let me use my Macintosh. How many minutes? 151. So that's 9,060. Uh, and how many? There's a cut every second. One and, and a half, half seconds. Yeah. 6,040 cuts. 6,040 cuts? Yeah. Nice. So it's not a million cuts. It's not death by a million cuts, but it's death by 6,040 cuts. Damn it, that's really funny. Uh, I have been recording for uh, 662 bars, so any of our previous jokes. How, how many how many cuts again? 6,040. 600? 6,040. 6,000. 6,040. 6,040. Oh, my God. This movie. Yikes. Yikes. Come at me, Birdman. <laughs> 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 now, see, that's a funny joke. <laughs> That's stand-up comedy uh, right there. Uh, <laughs> we get together, have a few laughs. Uh-oh, shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Lady, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your shot across the freaking street and say that until we come and get you. Hello, and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Josh Carter. And I'm Kendrick Martin. Today, we will be covering Armageddon, directed by Michael Baywatch, written by Jonathan Hensley, Hensley, Hensley. I think it was Hensley last time we said it, because he's done another one, too. Uh, Also, J.J. Abrams, Tony Gilroy, Shane Salerno, and Robert Ray Poole. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do here is an in-depth breakdown of a movie starring Bruce Willis. Both from a film perspective and his individual contribution, we add the movie to our ranking, we talk trivia, and then we do The Wheel of Willis. You can find all of our previous episodes at williswaypod.com. Find other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network over at lastoftheactionheroes.com. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes and tell everybody that you know about our podcast because everybody needs a little bit more Bruce Willis in their life. Including Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, if you're listening to us, <laughs> I know you love doing things. Uh, yeah, give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, I will say, I will pay for a voicemail number just for you. 1-800-BRUCE-WILLIS, if it has to be. You just let me know. <laughs> I'll give him my phone number. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> okay, deal with Kendrick's right. like, weirdo thing. Josh, I'm a millennial. I give my phone number out to no one. Oh, okay. I see. I see. <laughs> uh, before we... Uh, drill a hole into Armageddon mm. and place a nuclear bomb. Mm. We're gonna give you an idea. Mm. Oh, okay, never mind. That's fine. Of what uh, of what we think of this movie up top, and let you know if you should pause now, go watch and come back, or just listen to our suffering or enjoyment or enjoyment. I mean, no spoilers, but this might be the best movie we covered on the podcast. Just saying, of Armageddon. <laughs> So we have patented a concept called the Bruce Willis rating system. We rate a movie out of Bruce Willis out of Bruce Willis. Correct. If this movie earns more than a Bruce, we think it's worth watching. And by that, you should pause and go watch. If it earns less than a Bruce, I would say don't, don't go bother watching. Just listen to us. So Joshua. Mm-hmm. 
here we are, Armageddon. Yep. Some might say Bruce Willis's most notable film. Some others, might. Others might not say that. Some might. What would you rank this movie? Kendrick, I am once again going to give this movie a B for bees do not waste my time with this movie. Oh. Um, Very good. Yep, a B out of Bruce Willis. So that is the worst for those of you keeping score at home. The B is the lowest. Well, uh, <laughs> asterisk, like, except for sub-Bruce Willis temperatures yeah. <laughs> on uh, the Kelvin scale, which is the Walters. Yeah, of, uh, when you get into the physics, which this movie does not, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually have worse movies than just a B, but uh, we encourage you to go listen to previous episodes for that inside detail. Yep. I agree this is a terrible movie. Okay. I don't think it's worth a B, though. Oh, all right. So I'm going to give it a BR. Okay. <laughs> real real source of contention here right now. Yeah. It's like, argh, argh. like where the do you put it? The, uh, yeah, a BR. Yeah. I think actually maybe looking at the other stuff that I have on there, it might be a BR, um, but I can't remember. I'm trying to remember what I gave Color of Night, and I don't think our document goes down that far. Um, but I would rate it around that. I think probably a BR. Yeah, I'll give this movie a BR. So, um, yeah, the only reason I'm not giving it a B is I know there are worse movies. And because in order for this ranking scale to make any sense, it has to be a spread. Otherwise, everything's going to be every movie a B. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, everything's going to be a B or a Bruce Willis. And that's of no help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're going to get our patent taken away if we don't kind of spread things out a little bit. Yeah, um, the patent office is really cranking down on yeah. podcasts. Oh, yeah. Uh, God, man. Big government. This is just like Orson Welles, 1984. Do you realize that? Cracking down on <laughs> cracking down on podcasts, big government. Wow, I missed that chapter. Yep, there was a big deal. Yeah, uh, do you know, we're almost to twenty twenty four. Do you think they're going to make a sequel to nineteen eighty four? Yeah, I think they did. It was called nineteen eighty five. A yeah. lot of people lived through oh. it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that makes it was, sense. It was a big deal in the calendar year. I thought everything. maybe the nineteen eighty four cinematic universe was going to come out with more episodes. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, there was even a uh, like prequel a uh, weird prequel is uh 1984 bc i don't know if you ever heard about that one uh, what was going on in that <laughs> you know the greek government was getting out oh, there i don't right. know i don't fucking remember what was going on that someone time was uh using papyrus to, to spy on people i don't know <laughs> listen to my podcast aka me attaching my words to a bird hope you catch it <laughs> dude man if i was in Greek times, and I was podcasting by just constantly scribbling and then attaching it to birds. I wouldn't even use regular <laughs> pigeons. I just attach to any bird. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sponsor. It's like we got a sponsor. It's a really weak bird with no left arm, so it's pretty easy to catch. And then other birds, it's like that's oh, eagle. Good luck. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sponsored by uh, pita bread, or I don't know, one of the <laughs> Greek things. <laughs> so we just put our podcast into bake it into a pita bread and then you bite into it you're like oh it's a fortune pita bread and then you open it up and you're like why is it four pages on bruce willis who's this guy <laughs> wow yeah this we really went off the deep end here and uh, uh 
I'm and, teaching an improv camp, so yes, anding is like mm. number one thing right now for me. <laughs> you should also teach a podcasting camp. I really should. Um, can you imagine like a bunch of bunch of podcasters from Portland all showing up and then uh, being like, "All right, I'm ready to learn," and then they like take out their MacBooks and they're slowly tip tapping, mm. typing away. I just got a so my um, I get a MacBook from work and. It is a 2019 MacBook Pro. Woo! Uh, not not terrible, and but it has like been going haywire recently. The Bluetooth stopped working. Mm. The um, power. I would unplug the power cable, and the whole screen would just turn into like spaghetti. What? And I, you know, I wasn't like hungry for lunch at the time, so I was like, "Well, this spaghetti is worthless to me." <laughs> So I called up the, uh, you know, the spaghetti factory. The home office. That's for a refund. Yeah, I called the spaghetti factory and I was like, "Hey, I'm I got a I got an invention for you. you Help me with my apple. I got a patent for you." Um, No, I called up the home office and I was like, "Yo, can I please get a new computer?" And they were like, "Sure, we'll send you a new one." So they sent me the 2016 MacBook Mm. with working Bluetooth. Although I I popped it open today, did the old tippy tap, tippy tap, log in, log in. (laughs) And it is like, warning, your battery is in real bad shape. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why can't I just have a regular working computer? You unscrew it and the battery is like a triangle. You're like, ah, that is a bad shape. Like, <laughs> Why is this not uh, a rectangle? Yeah. Don't be shapeless. Batteries can be any size. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, if you, dear listener, are still listening after all that uh, bip and bop, uh, and you want to get a hold of us, maybe let me know how I can get a working MacBook. Maybe let Josh know what kind of things are happening in Greece. You can send us an email, willswaypod at gmail.com. You can send us a tweet at willswaypod. You can also reach us on Instagram by tweeting at us on Twitter and then asking what our Instagram is. And then we'll tell you that it's willswaypod. I post a lot of things on Instagram. Uh, I'm not a big Instagrammer, Instagramian, mm. but I'm learning. I believe it's Instagram cracker. Oh, right. Did you know that graham crackers were invented to deter masturbation? Really? Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of those facts <laughs> that is either true or false. <laughs> How? <laughs> I don't know. You just eat it instead, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that reminds me of that one like old internet uh, article where it's like, husband and wife practice celibacy two years after marriage and he's just talking about how he eats a whole raw potato whenever he feels tempted <laughs> it was like this whole thing uh, uh, i think you made so that up. Also, no 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 i promise i didn't <laughs> uh all right before we jump into armageddon we are going to take a quick break I'm actually gonna look up the history of the graham cracker because i've been saying that for a couple <laughs> weeks and i'm not sure if that's true <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, Invented by Sylvester Graham. He believed minimizing pleasure and stimulation of all kinds, including the prevention of masturbation, coupled with a vegetarian diet, anchored by bread made from coarsely ground wheat, was how God intended people to live. His followers were called Grahamites and uh, formed one of the first vegetarian movements in America. That's why, like, the the logo looks all like... I am against masturbation. Uh, I've actually never seen the logo. It's just seen the Nabisco mm. box. What logo are you talking about? It's a guy that says I'm against masturbation on the box. Oh, <laughs> so that limited makes total run. sense. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to get into Armageddon. 
life is short. I love you. Love is forever. Will you marry me? Gracie grew up to become a full-blown hottie. You're Whoa. talking about my little girl, all right? But you never know what the future holds. Until it hits. The meteor shower. This new one you're tracking. How big? It's what we call a global killer. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. The United States government just asked us to save the world. Anybody want to say no? You think we'll get hazard pay out of this? They'll do it. They've made a few requests, though. Such as? Oscar here has got some outstanding parking tickets. Uh, Max would like you to bring back eight-track tapes. Not sure if that's going to work. Yeah, one more thing. Um, none of them want to pay taxes again. Ever. United States astronauts train for years. You have 12 days. You stick that in me, I'm going to stab you in the heart with it. On July 1st. Tell me you've never let anybody down before. I never quit yet. How's that? Earth's darkest day. How are you feeling? Good. Considering I've never been this scared in my entire life. Will be man's finest hour. I'm marrying you. You bet you are. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Billy Bob Thornton. Liv Tyler. Ben Affleck. Will Patton. Semi. Whoa! This is so much fun, it's freaky! All the time in the world. We have 18 minutes to zero barrier. He's all they've got. We all gotta die, right? I'm the guy who gets to do it saving the world. That audio was from one of the stupidest movies ever, Armageddon. I'm going to go ahead and read the description from IMDb. After discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. And you can find this movie on VOD or at any of your guy friends' house houses who are ages like... 28 to uh 40 in their dvd collection wow that's a deep that's a deep uh, cut there josh yep. um <clears throat> i'm curious how did you watch this movie did you rent it on vod yeah i did i i paid money to watch this movie so again. i almost did and then i realized last night as i was about to watch this movie that it is on cable uh for free i mean if you have cable okay. so I use YouTube TV as a cable subscription, which is similar to a lot of other cable services. Mm -hmm. But the way it works is you basically just have an app called the YouTube TV app and you search for whatever you want on there and it pulls it up on the appropriate network. And so I watched this movie uh, as if it were on cable TV. Featuring commercials. The reason I bring it up is yes, it has commercial breaks and it had a (laughs) lot of commercial breaks. And I have not been using YouTube TV long, um, and I mainly have been using it for soccer games and the Olympics, but I have not used it for movie watching up until now. This is the first time I've done this, and 
the commercial breaks were pretty egregious, as were the TV edits for the movie, though I don't know as to what extent the film was edited. There were well, a couple they probably times, cut out the F word. There were a couple times, yes. You could tell that the language was edited. Um, I think that the R word was edited into rejects at one point because it was definitely an 80 yard piece of dialogue and I was trying to figure out what else it could be, but I wasn't sure. And I was like, mm, that's weird. Yeah. 34 minutes and they do say the R. Oh, well then yeah, that yeah. was edited yeah. out, uh, interestingly yeah. enough to be rejects. Um, yikes. But other than that, I didn't, um, it wasn't uh, the commercials obviously took a lot away, although they were edited into, into scene breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen this movie. I saw this movie when this, when this movie came out in 1998 and didn't feel the need to be extremely, uh, picky about watching like the original yeah, director's vision exactly. or anything. Um, I, there's going to be a lot I want to talk about in this movie. Um, not a lot of it good though before. So do you even just want to get started with the stuff that we liked? Uh, sure. Okay. You go ahead. What did you like? Um, I actually thought that the, they did a pretty decent job trying to explain the character motivations of so many different characters. Um, the team, you felt like you got to know the team a fair amount before they actually went in outer space. And I feel like that was decent. I, uh, I liked that I got to know the characters a little bit and, uh, I liked Steve Buscemi basically the entire time that he was in this movie. Although I didn't really like his character. I just thought that he gave a good, um, good performance. And I also really liked Billy Bob Thornton. And that's all the good things that I have to say about this movie. Um, so obviously this podcast about Bruce Willis, is going to be a lot of action movie movies. I, you know, Josh and I have talked repeatedly about how pleasantly surprised we've been that his, his, uh, repertoire of movies is much more overarching than I think either of us thought it was going to be. For sure. And it's been fewer action movies than I think either of us thought there was going to be. Although I think we're right now in 1998 is like where the action hero explosion, pun intended, sort of starts. And um, Armageddon being one of those. And I... I I don't know if maybe if it's just I've been kind of spoiled by his other works, even his less action, more spy heavy movies that I found more interesting. But this movie, uh, we haven't seen a ton of just straight, pure action movies. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody knows pretty much what this movie is, unless you know, you're know you like the tiniest of babies who's maybe never seen a movie before. And you you know can barely talk and you're like, Mama, dad, dad podcast, and you you put on this podcast, and you're a little baby, and you're you've never heard of Armageddon. It would show up in the demographics, though, and that isn't the case. So. Oh yeah, you're right. I guess we would have seen zero to one in our podcast listeners, <laughs> and I have not seen anything in that. Um, but this movie is obviously squarely an action film, and I think one of the things it does well is it captures you right away with action and it doesn't really let up as far as action goes. And I'm going to have a lot to say about Michael Bay uh, in general, as we talk about this movie. Yep. But one of the things that this movie did was at least interest me. And I think 
this movie it interested you this movie was like visually interesting and i think okay. 20 plus years ago the special effects um a little hard to say what i don't know 12 year old me would have thought or 11 year old me would have thought about this movie but uh they're not as terrible as it could have been i think early 2000s is right when cgi became a little bit cheaper and you can tell now visually the difference in low res CGI versus a little more practical special effects. And this movie kind of leverages both to the effect that it still looks passably good. Mm -hmm. um, there's still a lot that looks bad and weird and unnecessary, but I think it's still past like a, like a brief visual inspection. Yeah. For um, the time, especially it's all right. Like the explosions are probably the thing that looks the worst. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, and you kind of spoke to this, is this really is an ensemble movie. And the ons like, even before we did this podcast, I always thought of this movie as a Bruce Willis um, vehicle. And it definitely is because of kind of how his role is in this movie and how the ending, ending plays. Mm -hmm. But this movie really has a, a stellar ensemble cast. Steve Buscemi is great. Yeah. Um, Liv Tyler is Liv great. Liv Tyler, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, ben Affleck, mm -hmm. Owen Wilson, like none of them are doing their best work here, but they're all like interesting and unique and kind of fun to watch. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a whole bunch of people I didn't even mention uh, that are um, kind of interesting. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, like everybody seems like they kind of took their character and were like, all right, let's let's try to do something with this, even though they could have been like boring scientist guy or whatever. Yeah. And I, I think with an ensemble cast this big and there's a lot of people there's like two not even counting ground crew there's two spaceships and each of the spaceships have like 10 people and then they pick up peter stormare from the russian oh, God. they pick up peter stormare from the from the jackal uh what? No, no, sorry mercury rising he was in mercury rising who was he in mercury rising he was a brief so in mercury rising last episode um bruce willis is on the run immediately after the hospital scene and they get to the train and Peter Stormare is in there and then they have like a fight out in the train and then he like kills oh. him on the train. And I was like, because I had looked him up before that and I was like, oh, we're going to see him real soon because I didn't want to like spoil uh. the Armageddon con connection. But uh, yeah. Yeah, so. he gets introduced halfway through this movie and he gets like a little bit of character characterization yeah. type of stuff too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this movie could have definitely had basically like you know that that I mean like i said there's two spaceships and they each have five or six people they could have been 12 blandos and then bruce willis easily and then a whole bunch of red shirts get killed off um yeah and like even though, i feel like a lot of other action movies are yeah. yeah and even though a lot of people die in this movie there's still like enough bits in this movie to kind of build a little bit of character backstory uh some more than others i think um some of those characters get kind of shafted but Owen Wilson, looking at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he like rides a horse, and that's his one character yeah. moment. <laughs> um, but I, that's that's kind of like the bare minimum of what you would ask for this movie. So yeah, like you know, as far as an ensemble movie goes, if you're like, should I watch this or Ocean's Eleven? Fucking just watch <laughs> Ocean's Eleven. Stop listening to this podcast um, and watch Ocean's Eleven for yeah. the love of God. Uh, so there's a great. There's a great kind of write-up that I'll probably be referencing a few times throughout this on BuzzFeed by Sandy Ran... 
Kadua, I'm going to assume is how our last name is pronounced. Um, it was it was written in 2018 as kind of like a 20-year re- retrospective. There's actually a lot of 20-year retrospectives out there that are pr- interesting and worth reading. Um, the Ringer has another one. Um, so I'll, I'll include this BuzzFeed one in the show notes. But uh, she goes into a lot of the problems with this movie and, <laughs> and really, really rips it apart. But even at the end, she's kind of like, but if it's on cable TV and I'm flipping through the channels, I'll probably watch part of it, which I feel like is kind of how this movie is for most of us mm-hmm. because it was such a touchstone in our lives at that time. And it really ended the 90s. This movie was pre 9-11, pre-financial crisis. Very much so pre 9-11. Uh, yeah, there's like the Twin Towers are very like visibly shown in one scene of the movie. Um pre a lot of the things that the turn of the century had pre Y2K pre all this stuff. And I think it like for the, for people who were alive at the time, it kind of see it ended the nineties for us. And a lot of us think back to this movie, you know, the soundtrack and all that stuff. Um, Yeah. Cause like other movies like the fifth element that isn't, that takes place in the future. And then other things have different elements of um, other time periods and stuff like that. Like, um, Mercury Rising feels like it's looking maybe to the future a little bit with all its uh, cryptography and stuff. And the Jackal feels like it kind of could have taken place anytime, which makes sense because it's a remake of an older movie. But Armageddon definitely feels like it was made in this time for this time. And that's yeah. it. So uh, that's about the end of my positive comments. Yeah. Um, I want to talk uh, about a couple different topics. The first I want to talk about is basic plot uh, topics. I, f- I think it's fairly common now. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen memes. It's not a new concept about the ridiculousness that the whole plot re- rests on teaching uh, oil drillers to be astronauts versus teaching astronauts how to be, <laughs> how to dig a hole and run a drill. Um, <laughs> They don't know jack about drilling. Yeah, there's a great Ben Affleck clip, uh, which <laughs> from the audio commentary yeah. where he's just ripping this movie to shreds. Uh, we may include here. I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers, and he told me to shut, shut, shut the fuck up. So that that was the end of that talk. He was like, you know, Ben, just shut up, okay? You know, this is real plan, all right? I was like, you mean it's a real plan at NASA to train oil drillers? He was like, just shut your mouth. <laughs> See, here's where we demonstrate that, because Bruce is going to tell the guys that they did a bad job of building the drill tank. He did a piss. See, he's a salt-of-the-earth guy. And the NASA nerdonauts don't, uh, don't understand uh, his salt-of-the-earth ways, his rough-and-tumble ways. Like somehow they can build rocket ships, but they don't understand like what makes a good tranny. We've had been training for eight months solid now. Eight whole months? Well, pretty much, yeah. Like eight whole months, as if that's not enough time to learn how to drill a hole. But in a week, we're going to learn how to be astronauts. Oh, one whole week? Now you know how to fly into space? I need my guys. Why do you need them? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? I don't know. They just are. I'm only the best because I work with the best. If you don't trust the men you're working with, you're as good as dead. If you want to send these boys into space, fine. I'm sure they'll make good astronauts. But they don't know jack about drilling. 
I mean, this is a little bit of a logic stretch, let's face it. They don't know jack about drilling. How hard can it be? Aim the drill at the ground and turn it on. You think it's just drilling a hole? There's a lot you gotta know about. And when you're gonna break, snap off an edge in a tranny on a corner of a hot pipe, and you're gonna get a gas pocket. Like, yeah, well... What about when the booster rockets don't fire and your EVA suit and your zero gravity, you know? Didn't you see a, Didn't you see Apollo 13, boy? Yeah. Uh, I... So, not... I watched this movie and I was very frustrated at the depiction of science and mm-hmm. physics because I don't know about you, Josh, but we live in... Uh, we live in a society. No. Oh, my God. Um... We do. <laughs> uh, we actually live in um, an age of really good science fiction stories, and mm-hmm. not only science fiction stories, but also like well-crafted space dramas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be talking more about one later, potentially. Mm. But um, a lot of times, I think space is shown more accurate. Like it's hard to show space. 100% accurate because there's a lot of nuance there and that oftentimes eliminates storytelling. But you can definitely show accurate space elements without having to do a lot of explaining to the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think... This Using movie, the show-don't-tell method yeah, of this movie, this movie <laughs> storytelling. This movie is definitely like, oh, space is just like uh, air but darker. And, <laughs> and all the spaceships are uh, just like flying like airplanes uh, and the way that everything works, they get to this asteroid, even an asteroid the size of Texas would not act. They would not have gravity this way. You wouldn't land like you would an airplane like Apollo 13. I hate how they have fucking stupid little like wheels that come down and then they're like, yeah, this is how we're going to land on this yeah. planet. Apollo 13 so did a better job of explaining how space works. Like we don't need... Like, yes, space is complicated, and there's a lot of complications that involve, you know, orbital gravity and all this stuff. That's why they made the montage, though. Like, the montages are made so that you could be like, space is complicated. We're going to explain some things about space. And then you, like, training, a little bit of explaining, training, a little bit of explaining, bare bones stuff so that you as an audience member can get it, and then you just show the rest. Yeah. There was a movie recently, uh, First Man, which um, was about Neil Armstrong and kind of the landing on... Uh, the moon and it started Ryan Gosling and it had a lot of really good ways to kind of show you um, like it didn't assume the audience had to be totally explained as to Mm -hmm. how the math works in orbital dynamics and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It just kind of was like, look, it's complicated. You're up in space, but the thing of the thing is just like I was like these like spaceships. I don't know if maybe it was the '90s, but spaceships don't need to constantly be firing rockets. They're not airplanes. They just need to point in a direction and you know boost to a speed and then stop and then they're like in that speed and then they have to slow down and do all this other stuff. And I feel like, especially when they got to the. Uh, the Russian space station to refuel. And it was definitely just like two airplanes kind of like merch stop. And yep. then like, boop, lost. I so missed interstellar when I was watching that, like interstellar's like interlocking sequence oh, and yeah. how they had to like line everything up and yeah. s- make the spin exactly right. And then this movie's just docking complete. Like you might as well just have it be star Trek where they just like 
load up right next to it and then go and like the little walkway comes out like it was that it was so ridiculous and i know that this movie is in the 90s and you know even even though that a lot of these newer newer movies and newer tv shows um can shorthand this it's because it's had 20 years from this movie to assume that the audience knows how some of this works but apollo 13 came out in 95 Mm -hmm. so well before this movie and it showed you a mostly true story about space travel and it included a lot of actual space drama versus this which just had a lot of flying and fire and nonsense yeah kendrick i think uh the fifth element showed a more accurate form of space travel <laughs> well the fifth so the fifth element the fifth element was the same way where it had spaceships taking off from runways uh-huh but it did it in a way that it was like, look, this is absolute nonsense and f- nonsensical fun. Yeah. You can have a spaceship, a space shuttle, like, launch from a runway yeah. because it's going to another planet in, you know, two yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, This movie is, like, too stupid to be taking itself seriously and too serious to be taking itself stupidly. It worked itself into, like, a terrible corner. So Michael Bay admitted, um, I don't know if at the time, but definitely later he admits that this is definitely a fantasy story. Mm-hmm. So not meant to be taken serious in any science sense of the word. Totally. Um, which is fine. I mean, I think if I, I knew that kind of going into it, but I, f- I still felt frustrated because I, because we've seen in the last 20 years, great science fantasy stories mm-hmm. that can still portray a little bit better, uh, space element to them where it doesn't need to act like they're just fighter jets in space yeah um and so i think that ended up annoying me more than it should have um yeah that was something that kind of flew right by me when i watched it like i was just like whatever they're jets i don't care (laughs) it's it's just one of the like it's not my biggest problem with the movie but it is a problem with the movie because this movie has like so many script problems it has so many um just like Michael Bay, you know, hating anybody who's not white and so, a male. Like. So let's talk about the let's talk about the Michael Bay of it all. That, I didn't take a lot of notes in this movie because I just kind of gave up at some point. I but, took too many notes. I was so mad watching um, this. Two of the notes that I took were the Michael Bay of it all, and then um, the uh, conservative wet dream of it all yes so let's talk the, about like that americana of this movie it's I, so hoorah America. i don't have a huge uh michael bay connection um i've seen a good handful of his movies i've seen like tr- the transformers movies i've seen i'd seen this before i had seen uh pain and gain which is like one of known as kind of famously as his like lower stakes movie um, that I found was like really good. I've seen Bad Boys. I'm sure. I'm sure I've seen a couple others. Um, I've I've seen I've seen The Rock a few times. But uh, so I can't speak, and I don't remember this theme being as present. But this movie is blatantly obvious that it's kind of speaking to the modern day equivalent. And I don't know. Again, the 20 year retrospectives will speak to this. So like those articles I mentioned earlier. But I don't know enough about 90s pop culture and kind of how this movie landed to know if it was it was read this way but it definitely feels to me like the kind of propaganda that right-wing um pundits or music stars use 
to kind of virtue signal or dog whistle to their mm-hmm. parties. Mm-hmm. And it was almost egregiously so. Um, I think if I was like being marketed to this way, I would almost feel offended that it was so blatant and egregious. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically this movie stars a bunch of blue collar workers who are repeatedly shown as being, you know, salt of the earth. They all work in like, uh, blue collar jobs in oil rigging, but they also, their, their other occupations are like they own a ranch or they drive cars or they work on motorcycles or they're, um, they do, they do something like in rural America that doesn't involve anybody else. They all, um, avoid any sort of like, uh, government, uh, connections. So they, there's a lot when the, um, when the gang is kind of rounded up, they make a big scene about how the FBI has to like chase people down in helicopters and cop cars and all this stuff just to like collect them to be like, Hey, save the planet. Um, and then, um, they also, when they're putting this party together, like the thing they ask for, that's like the biggest thing is like, we don't want to pay taxes anymore. Yeah. Uh, which is like, I don't think any of these guys are that they, none of them are that rich and they can't be paying that many taxes. Like their tax bill has to be very low. Yeah. Well, Sibushemi makes it sound like he's making bank on this instead of being like a scientist. And there's no way that yeah. he is I making mean, oil, more doing oil, this. The oil industry is quite uh, lucrative. Do you think that they pay like their workers that amazingly? Some though? of them, yeah. Some of those oil rig workers get paid really well. Because, but you're probably like a contractor, right? So you're yeah. You, you do, don't have you like you <laughs> have you do have a lot of like beneficial overhead. You're not making nearly what the you know owners of oil you know the billions of dollars that the owners of these oil companies are making. Yeah. But still, oil rig workers do make a lot of money because it is a very mm. dangerous job and you do risk your life. Um, as they kind of show in this movie yeah. so it is like a you know, you do risk it is a, a risk job but still we're talking like 11 guys who maybe make you know let's uh, say like 80,000 yeah I don't know I don't know I don't know uh, we can look see. it up yeah oil rig worker salary uh, top earners are 130,000 so this is in today's dollars um 75th percentile is 90,000. So and the average is 75,000. Yeah. So that's So pretty, let's say that they're all making at least 90,000 cuz these are supposedly like the top. Yeah. So $90,000, your tax bill is like some of that, probably like 25-30%, but not a lot. If you live in like a pretty progressive state, if you live in like Texas or wherever these guys are from. Well, I'm talking about federal. I don't know. Oh, federal. I don't know state income tax. I don't I don't even know that it would be that much cuz like the the higher wage you earn, the lower percentage tax effective tax rate you have i don't uh i don't uh claim to be a uh financial a taxologist a, taxologist. a, tax, a taxidermist if you will a taxidermist good one <laughs> um but that is quite a low like you take the grand scheme of lucrative jobs again in the 90s this was pre-tech boom so this was like you know before your zuckerbergs are making you know unthinkable amounts a year of, or whatever yeah you know. unthinkable amounts of money yeah yeah facebook People in the Bay Area are making, uh, you know, monopoly money leveled amounts of dollars. Um, it. Oh, and so so there's all that, and then there's also the the continuing theme of this movie is the incompetence of government, the incompetence of science, 
And the fact and that how, like the bureaucrats don't know what they're doing. The fact that the bureaucrats, the scientists, the like brainiacs, mm-hmm. none of them know what they're doing. There's like scenes where they're taking there's like 10 guys taking notes on Bruce Willis, just talking out his ass about drills. Uh, These guys don't know jack about drilling. Yeah. So <laughs> this movie definitely has a has a message. And mm-hmm. I think that's its message. And I was just so slapped in the face by it. And I think it's partly because of the fact that, um, you know, we live in an era where that marketing is so heavily focused. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't just make a movie and be like, we're going to make a movie about, you know, Americana. And because they never once really mentioned politics, like, they never bring up. Democrat or Republican yeah, or anything they never like bring that. Up, they never bring up political party, but they also they never don't bring, bring up, up policies. They're never going to bring up who they're going to vote for. They're never going to, yeah, they never bring up any sort of governmental level thing. Although they do, Steve Buscemi does mention the like, um, it's crazy that we're flying up here on a rocket and like that's built by the lowest bidder essentially, oh, yeah. which is talking about like how America doesn't invest much in their infrastructure, which is funny because they're like, we don't want to pay taxes. However, infrastructure is bad, which is just like a big complainer because how do you get better infrastructure? You spend fucking money. Like, this isn't rocket science, pun intended. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty stupid. But no, I totally agree with you. And like, if you're talking about a movie where like, the every everyday man, a uh, working collar dude is like the good guy and the bureaucrats are well-meaning but don't know what they're doing exactly. Die Hard is so much of a better movie as far as that exactly, goes. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not totally egregiously the essence of the movie. It's like an element of the movie and it's not the like core principle. Whereas the, this movie, it felt like it was the core principle and it felt like it was just constantly shoved in your face you had no choice but to accept government bad bureaucrats bad like call like blue collar worker good so not green peace bad not not only are we continually reminded of uh the merits of you know the hard-working blue blue collar american and Mm -hmm. the stupidity of any anyone who went to school or works for NASA or is in yeah. government or in the military. It, it really like shits on the military, this movie, totally. which, which I was kind of surprised. Cause I, again, you're looking at it through a lens of history, but nowadays the, a lot of conservative right wing propaganda also includes them propping up the military as kind of like totally the thing to do. And this movie definitely doesn't take that route. Even though the air force signed off on this movie, like uh, they gave oh. them access to a bunch of different equipment and then they also were like, yep, gets the Air Force scene of approval because the Air Force, whenever the Air Force works on a movie, they get to say kind of what's included in the movie and what isn't. They also get final say over the cut so they can say, nope, that scene is not in there. So like there was a big contentious moment where the um, NASA guy pulls out a gun on Bruce Willis and uh, like the Air Force presumably wouldn't have signed off on that originally but because the movie was um was already filmed at that point the air force was like well it kind of makes sense within the character to have that so i guess we'll sign off on it but they could have vetoed that scene so i i think the fact that the kevin bacon character kind of like comes around at the end even Mm -hmm. though he's like an obstinate asshole for kind of no reason 
Um, for conflict. This movie wasn't long enough. That was the big thing that Michael Bay probably thought. is like, surely in 150 minutes is not enough time Which, again, to be goes, spent with this movie. It goes back to what I was saying about a lot of other space dramas, well-done space dramas, mm-hmm. is there is so much drama about space travel with failing systems and just the the fact that space is so complicated and so yeah. difficult yeah. that you don't need a ridiculous, like, oh, I'm going to pull a gun on you so we can launch this nuke early. Or I'm going to jump over a fucking canyon using my little rocket yeah. boosters. Yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, this movie is not only focusing on the conservative, like, Americana aspect and kind of down downplaying any any bureaucrat, any um, scientist, but it also definitely makes a America first mentality. Well, I mean, the rocket's names are the freedom and the independence. Yes. And they say that it's like a joint mission with like the Russians, the Chinese. So obviously they live in like a multipolar world, which is cool and progressive and everything like that. Um, if you believe in a um, realist form of political military might. Um, but the um, the this movie like is saying, oh yeah, we're working, you know, across the across the world on a bunch of different things, and then it's just like the Americans doing everything. Like the Russians get included by accident, practically. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's so not, stupid. Yeah. What I find so fascinating is nowadays in 2021, you have to and other than Private industry, so SpaceX or or mm-hmm. Blue or, Blue Origin or Origin, Origin, whatever it's Ocean, called, Blue Ocean, whatever Blue it's called. Origin, I think is what yeah. it's called. Uh, you have to rely on the Russians to get to space, so a mm-hmm. lot of American astronauts have to use Russian uh, ships to get to like the International Space Station or or whatever. <laughs> uh, also, it kind of blew my mind that this movie was pre International Space Station because it, that to me seems like it has been around for so long. Uh, this is pre-international space station. Yeah, because they go to that Russian what space station, and otherwise, what? It, so uh, wow. <laughs> so so this that movie, even this movie is, is I would go as far to say uh, racist, but for, <laughs> but it it is it yes. is definitely America pro-America, and the obvious example using the Russian astronauts and the the fact that other nations have equally or better space programs in America today um, make it hard to believe that no other nation would have been able to contribute much to this other than the one Russian space station, which when they get there is shown to be in the most disrepair. It's like duct tape together space station and that just one constantly falls there? apart. Yeah. With one guy working there. Yeah. That doesn't and make any it's fucking just sense. Ob- it's just an obvious show of like everything's falling apart and you know, nothing works. And they make so many comments about how like the Russian guy's bad. And, yeah. Yeah. They could have, they, like I said, have said several times, you could have easily had all that space drama with the failing fuel pumps and the explosions and the like, nece- the, the, needing to leave really quickly you could have still had all that because that all happens normally you don't need the most derelict of spaceship and the shittiest of astronauts to show that and also 18 months would not be enough to completely drive somebody mad uh these yeah people live in solo missions for years in you know 
other parts of the world. So And also that guy's accent was just yeah. so bad. He's um, like, I'm Russian scientist up on Russian ship. Actually, I think that, that might even be better than what is in the the movie. Uh I recently watched a movie called Top Hat from like the 30s with um uh Fred Astaire and there's like an Italian guy named uh Bedini and then he's like played by a definite American guy that was born in Oklahoma and died in Oklahoma. But his uh, character is just like, for uh, the women, the case, for the man, the sword. And that's just what I was thinking of the whole time, is this is just Russian Bedini. Just some American guy playing the worst Russian imaginable. <laughs> uh, Peter Stormare, I think, is actually Swedish. Oh, he so is? He's a Swedish-American Playing a Russian. Russian. Well, his accent is fucking bad. It's not anywhere near the jackal levels of bad, but it is so terrible. Um. So yeah, this movie has a lot of like pro problematic pro America messages, but then it also just delves into the embarrassingly inept slash racist slash no one spent the time to do the research. Uh. I am I would not call myself any level of um eastern historian or <laughs> or philosopher or anything but there is several scenes shown of a group of people at the Taj Mahal um the Taj Mahal is a uh a burial site mm-hmm. and I believe it's a muslim burial site but I'm not sure and the people shown praying at the Taj Mahal which no one does are uh Sikhs which are not Muslims so I was like not only are they praying at a place that no one would pray at when there are many other obvious uh, like holy sites holy or whatever sites of Islam that they could have shown you know Mecca being yeah. the obvious one but there are many sites and or just skip that entirely you could have easily just shorthanded the world is praying without this op- like just blatantly no one cared to to google anything in 1998 the pre-google google no one cared to look anything up to load up a, a web page log on to the fbi.com's yeah. website and right. then <laughs> get their email for yeah, Einstein. <laughs> uh so that was that was pretty offensive but then additionally there's a scene where a whole bunch of asteroids fall uh, oh mini asteroids God. fall on Eastern Asia and kill, I think they said 20 million people, 30 million people. Something like that. And they're just like, well, that was a bummer. And I was like, yeah, 30 million people just died. <laughs> they're like, when's that gonna, the big one gonna hit? Because um, we're concerned about that one. And um, uh, also, New York got blown up. But how seriously do we have to take this? And like, the world also is shown as not taking it seriously yeah. until like that happens. But New York got blown up like at the beginning of the movie. I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to cover it up for a long time. But if they also apparently all people in East Asia just live on boats in yes. harbors. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was that was amazing. <laughs> like this happened in the South Pacific, and I was like, oh no. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, great. They're all on boats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie also is not very kind to uh, African-Americans as well. Because, like, the, the like one black dude that's up there is uh, shown as, like, not bright at all. 
and the uh, other African-American guy that's in this movie is at the very beginning of the movie and he is just like the most racist caricature of African-Americans that uh, have been on screen in a, in a hot second. Well, you're forgetting about Keith David, the antagonistic uh, oh, general. general. Oh, yes. Yeah, so black people are either dumb or bad. Yeah. Love that. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's the general who kind of plays the... I have the nuclear button. I must nuke it right away, <laughs> guy. Um, the but, president won't stand for this. But you're also thinking of uh, Michael Clark Duncan, who uh-huh. plays Bear. Yeah. Uh, on the gang of people, and he's the only white person, only, only non person. only non white person on the uh, group. And um, uh, I don't know what his. Um, like he was most famous for the Green Mile, I think, in my my recollection. I don't know uh, what else he would have done before this, but um, he's like a pretty big guy, so he definitely stands out in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy is so muscular too. <laughs> yeah. What again? This movie, the fact that there's like they even mentioned the fact that there's quote unquote no weight limit when there is definitely a weight limit. Like they can't just. <laughs> They're not. They're not doing weight limits just for fun. They do weight like the normal weight limits are because the freaking spaceship cannot get into space otherwise. Mm-hmm. And the fact that no one, they're just like, nah, we'll just, you know, fill up the tank more. We'll put a little more gas in the tank, get it into space faster. Uh, yeah. Ay yeah yeah. I'm trying to look up what else he's been in. Oh, he was in Cats and Dogs. God, that's embarrassing. Definitely, I've seen that. <laughs> It's embarrassing for who? Me. <laughs> it's embarrassing that I've seen that. Yeah. That's like one of my guilty pleasure movies, or it was actually. I have to rewatch it. The guy was in the movie called The Legend of the Kung Fu Rabbit, and then later he was in, <laughs> he was in Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> this guy's been in two he's animated got, movies. He's got a type. Kung Fu. <laughs> he's got a type. Ah, that's so good. And he was in Daredevil later with Ben Affleck. Wow, look at him. Look at him go. Uh, so, yeah, we haven't talked a lot about the Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler love story. Yep. So I watched this with my wife, Stacy, and she said that this was the movie that made Liv Tyler famous. Um, which is I what dis- I thought. I disagreed. I said it was Lord of the Rings, which is a few years later. Uh. But I, I don't know. I think when, to me, when I think of her, I think of Lord of the Rings character. Yeah, um, I don't think of this character, but I could see that this character kind of propelled her in the the eye of the public. Um, one of my roommates while watching this was like, I just, her face, um, she's so beautiful. Um, and I uh, I agree. Yeah, Liv she Tyler is distractingly is beautiful and yeah. she has very intense eyes. I actually was like, is she wearing contacts or are her eyes just like that yeah. intense? Yeah. And she has like a very elegant presence. I'm like, it makes sense that she played an elf like a few years later yeah. because I mean, dang, she definitely has that sort of a vibe. Yeah. 
she yeah casts an aura i think her character obviously terrible in this movie this movie does not do well with women the only two michael bay the only two female characters in this movies are her and then a pilot oh, yeah, a guy's wife oh there's a well there's a pilot oh right a ship pilot who's who basically they make a bunch of comments on how hot she is and she's like i'll crack your nuts if you keep talking oh oh i forgot about that person i was thinking about the the like um driller's wife who's like oh yeah this is my son not your son and then it's like your daddy's a hero at the end of the movie and then she's all into him because that's you know what makes a good dad somebody who's a hero or a good spouse somebody who's a hero that's so stupid and then the other woman that's in the movie is Dottie, the person who's like hey i'm probably gonna leave you i don't think you're a good husband and then he's like go get the phone book like right at the beginning <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my god i wrote down when that scene happened i was like guys i think michael bay just hates women i don't know <laughs> uh yeah grace zabriski is that woman mm. she was on twin peaks uh, uh your favorite show my favorite show yeah and i was like damn it's her she's got a very recognizable face mm. um also, uh, there's just a ridiculous moment where they're like, um, oh, he's like, I want to name the asteroid after my wife, Dottie. He's like, that's so That's sweet. so he's nice. Like, yeah, because she also would kill all humanity if given the chance or, or whatever that joke is. And she's a bitch. Yeah. Like, he literally <laughs> says that. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, this movie is not nice to women. The, no, and I hate how Michael Bay is like, whenever he gets critiqued, he's like, well, I'm making movies for teenage boys. It's like, okay, included the explosions, I guess. Include the dumb plot elements, I guess. But like, don't shit on women. You yeah. have a responsibility as a filmmaker and a person to like, yeah. teenage, try to treat people teenage decently. Teenage boys can also have a normal relationship with a woman. But not only in addition to that, but you can also have non-sexualized characters a la Dottie just treated normally. Like I don't know about that, Kendrick. That's asking <laughs> a lot for a while. Okay, it is Michael Bay, but still, you can have you can have no, no, sex it's totally true. and also just regular characters. Yeah, you can treat people just fine even if they are not sexually appealing. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh all right. I feel like I've shit on this movie enough. Mm-mm. Nope, I'm I have let, more. I have more shits let, to give. I'm gonna let you shit more. Okay, um, so yeah, the anytime the president calls in, they're like, "All right, the president's on the on the microphone," and then it is sixteen different monitors showing the same angle of the president. What the fuck? Why do you have 16 monitors where you're showing the same person? And the surround sound kicks in whenever he's on there. And it's like, why is the president on surround sound? We know Zooms today have a hard time getting things to work. How in 1998 was the president up in Air Force One being on 16 monitors with surround sound? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. That's the most unbelievable science in this movie. And that's saying a lot. Um... Also, uh, one of my roommates said uh, that they saw a letterbox review that said Armageddon is a disaster movie in every sense of the word, and I agree. Um, also, even though this isn't our lowest rated movie, I think that this is my lowest rated movie per minute that you have to spend watching this movie, because this movie's 150 minutes long. For those of you keeping record at home, that's two and a half hours long. I watched this movie in two parts. Uh, oh, that sounds nice. I watched it early afternoon yesterday, then I paused it and 
went and lived my life. And then <laughs> after I was feeling good about myself, I came back and finished it. I watched it all last night because I'm apparently somebody that hates themselves and I wanted to watch it all at the same time. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Um, speaking of two parts, though, I did have this thought while watching the movie that this movie probably actually should have been two different movies. Hear me out. Because the beginning part of this movie, there is a goal of going up to the planet or going up to the, the asteroid and planting the nuke. But there's also the goal of training up the astronauts and getting off the planet in the first place. That happens about an hour and a half into the movie. I very easily could have watched a movie where the entire goal was just to get these people trained and get them off the planet. And then later, another movie is about how they actually do the mission that they set out to do. And this movie feels like it really needs a break in it because it's just so much. And there's so many disasters that happen of inconsequence. They get them figured out really quickly or they're really stupid disasters that don't make any sense because J.J. Abrams doesn't know how to write. Don't at me, bros. Um, Yeah. And the first half of this movie, uh, it takes them it, half the movie to get to space. Yeah. There's very few conflicts that really happen pre-getting to space. Other than like Bruce Willis being like, I don't know if I like this Ben Affleck character. Yeah. I'm going to my wife. I'm shoot I don't know if my daughter can ever, uh, uh, ever uh, be a sexual creature uh, because she's a woman. Uh, uh, uh. Oh my god, I forgot about this because the rest of the movie is so egregious. But yeah, Bruce Willis's character is like so unlikable up until the last maybe like ten minutes of the movie. Yes. Yep. Not his fault entirely, but annoying. Um also I haven't looked it up, but did you see why Bruce Willis did this movie? Did you hear about why no. why that happened? So apparently He was afraid of space. No 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 no. <laughs> So I read this on IMDb. He's afraid apparently, of space bars. Apparently, he was supposed to be in a movie called Broadway Baller. Broadway Baller. Broadway Brawler. And Bruce Willis was like, this isn't working. I got to leave. And so then he signed a three-picture deal with Disney to be like, let me out of this movie. Absorb the cost. I'll be in three of your movies. And the three movies that he's in is this movie... The Sixth Sense, which we're going to cover soon, and Unbreakable, which we're going to cover in a bit. And he exited that movie in order to do this movie. And like that was his stipulation um, or that was a stipulation from Disney. But I haven't looked up Broadway Brawler at all, but I'm really curious to see if it was like something that was going to be um, like a more Hudson hockey or if it was going to be. Uh, stupid because Broadway makes me think that it maybe it has some sort of musical element to it, but I have no idea. If you Google it, like one of the first results is a LA Times article from uh, 1997, which is talking about how there's apparently a real life brawl that happened on the set of the movie. It's apparently a family friendly romantic comedy set in the world of hockey. <laughs> Willis plays the part of Eddie. Kopinski, the titular Broadway brawler, a retired hockey player romancing Mara Tierney's character, uh, who did not even get a name. Oh, bummer. <laughs> yeah, apparently he was like, this movie isn't working. I gotta leave. <laughs> yeah, after 20 days of shooting, the production was halted as a, a result of Willis' dissatisfaction with director Lee Grant and the co-producer and the director of photography. Hmm. They're all fired, and uh, it sounds like the film never, film never resumed. Hmm. 
I wonder how much shooting they actually got done. I don't know. If I could watch any of it. Because that'd be interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, wild. Crazy stuff. But yeah, that's about uh, that's about all the shitting that I have to do on the movie. I obviously agree with everything you brought up. Oh, one thing that we didn't bring up is that this movie has um, about one and a half seconds per shot of the movie. Um, so Kendrick and I did the math earlier, and that adds up to about uh, 6,040 cuts over the course of this movie. Which is... That's a lot. Uh, too many. And I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, so... I'm, I'm an expert sorry for you and also <laughs> why <laughs> you know I really like Queen that's why I like Downfall <laughs> that's embarrassing <sighs> Josh um, okay so we're gonna move on now to the Star Trek connection Josh, why don't you riddle me with the Star Trek connections you have no, ready no, to go? No, you do yours first. I'll bring in mine oh, at the very end. Right. So I have a couple low level, low level dudes. Um, we have Andy Mil- Milder, Milner. I think it's pronounced Milder. Uh, Andrew Mildew. He plays the. Um, he's a NASA tech in Armageddon, and he is in several uh, Star Trek episodes. Um, I think he's in. Uh, Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's also does voice acting for some Star Trek video games, mm. interestingly enough. He's also in uh, Apollo 13 as uh, just a background NASA character. So mm. he apparently likes his space, his space things. Uh, a couple other side characters. We have Lawrence Tierney who plays... Um, he's a side character in a couple episodes of Star Trek. He's in Deep Space Nine. He's in Next Generation. And then he is... Who is he in Deep Space Nine? Because that name sounds really familiar. Uh, I just had it up in front of me. He is Regent in the episode Business as Usual. Regent in Business as Usual. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to go look up Business as Usual now. Um... I just got done doing a watch through of that show, so I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about Deep Space Nine right now. He's all he plays the character of Eddie Stamper in Armageddon. Hmm. Interesting. I don't remember that character's name per se, but I believe you Oh, it's Oh, it's the the like um the the big bad guy in this episode. Yeah, that episode's great. Yeah, he's like an arms dealer, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, keep going. Oh, that's it. That's it all I have. Okay, so the one that you missed, the the big one, is actually, if you look at the cast and crew, he is going to be down a few a few roles. I already gave away their gender, um, but... It's Bruce Willis? No, Bruce Willis hasn't been in Star Trek yet, unfortunately. This character's name is Ronald Quincy. He's played by Jason Isaacs who is famous for being in the Harry Potter series as uh, Draco Malfrey's dad. But he also played Captain Lorca in Star Trek Discovery, which is our first Star Trek Discovery oh, reference. Wow. So the first of the new Star Trek series, I'm pretty sure. I think you're right. Had. Yeah. Have you watched Star Trek Discovery? I have, yeah. So I've watched seasons one and two. I'm working on season three right now because... I got Paramount Plus because Beavis and Butthead was on it. And I was like, well, if I'm paying for Beavis and Butthead, I might as well get Paramount Plus. And then I've watched one episode of season three. And I was like, 
that was kind of bad. Uh, I guess I might watch a little bit of it later. But Star Trek Discovery is okay. Um, I wouldn't place it as my favorite Star Trek. It is not my least favorite Star Trek Enterprise. Um, and I'm not going to call out which one is my least favorite, but it is not my least favorite. Um, so, yeah. I've seen all uh, seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Discovery. And oh. season three has a slow start, but I enjoyed it. At, you know, I thought that it did. I thought it was a wise choice. We're getting Star Trek in the weeds here, but season three has a time jump from the previous two yes, seasons. Yes, it does. <laughs> and it also loses some characters from the previous two mm-hmm. seasons that I found was a little lacking. But I think the choice was wise for the time jump. Mm. And uh, the new characters in season three are also enjoyable. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you like uh, Captain Lorca as a character? Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I thought that he was a really, really enjoyable presence in season one and season two definitely felt like it was lacking for that like really charismatic role because he is so charismatic in um, Star Trek Discovery. Season two did a really great job with bringing in Captain Pike. I think I would have hated season two if it didn't have Captain Pike in it. I think they're going to have a spinoff show with just about Captain Pike. Yeah, and I'm really excited for that. Like, I can't remember what that spinoff show is going to be called, like Strange New Worlds or something like that. Have you watched uh, Lower Decks? I watched like three or four episodes, and I just think I'm not really into it that much. I mm. feel like it's like a worse version of Rick and Morty, which I'm also not that so big of a it's fan some of. Some of the similar writers of so, so that would be why you might think that. Mm. I uh, and it has like kind of a similar animation style. Yeah, I feel I found it very enjoyable, but um, I would I would say it's not super long. I think it's ten episodes. Stick through it specifically for the final episode, mm. which has a lot of cameos from star trek in general a lot of voice acting cameos and there is a uh particular line that is the right of the end of the episode <laughs> that i won't spoil for you but man i loved that line so much and okay sealed me on that show okay all right maybe i will watch it then because they're also having season two come out and people yeah, are making a big just deal about a, season two stuff yeah they're making a big deal about a tom paris uh, commemorative plate did you hear about oh, that oh wow no yeah so apparently in the show they reference like oh this is a commemorative uh tom paris plate and it's like just a dish plate that they have that has tom paris's face on it going like thumbs up or something like that and then it, it gets referenced in the show but then they made a real life plate that is that same exact that's thing. great yeah that they're selling on the that's site great i love that yeah oh man star trek all right yeah star trek pretty Speaking good of star trek we're going to talk about uh bruce willis's performance i think right uh right after you tell me how much money this movie made oh man Oh, man, this movie. So this movie uh, got produced on a $140 million budget, which is like the highest by far, (laughs) by far. That we've talked about. That we've talked about, yeah. It might be the highest overall. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Beavis and Um, Butthead probably cost a lot, right? What? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's $12 million, fucker. (laughs) No. (laughs) And this movie made uh, $553 million in the box office. So its rate of return was 3.955. Still not as good as um, Die Hard with the Vengeance and definitely not as good as 
um, Pulp Fiction mm. or yeah. Look Who's Talking, which is 39 <laughs> times the investment. There's nothing going to be a Look Who's Talking. There's no, never going to be another no, one. No, no, yeah. no, no, <laughs> that, was, no, no, no. that was a crazy cash no, grab. No, 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 no. Cash grab. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's briefly talk about Bruce, Brucey Boy, Brucey, Brucey W, Walter Bruce Willis. Oh, so, yeah. like I said at the beginning of this review, this movie in my mind was definitely a Bruce Willis vehicle. I feel like he did not play as big of a role as I remembered him, but... He still played a pretty substantial role. I think I liked how he definitely leaned into the leader role, which let the rest of the ensemble cast play the ridiculous, silly parts. So the fact that he was, you know, he's wearing the like polo shirt at um, at the control booth telling people like yeah pull the plug and do this and do that and make it harder on ben affleck and all this stuff the fact that he's able to do that um lets the rest of the cast uh respond and react to him versus if he was also in the water so i'm talking about a specific scene where they're in the water doing a test drill and bruce willis is kind of like talking to the tester saying like hey let's have some systems fail and let's try some different stuff to see how the the team responds uh the fact that he was kind of the intermediary there um, helped s- that transition because, like I like we've talked about, this movie is so hard on the scientists yeah. that it needed Bruce Willis to kind of be the go-between because it was shitting on all the scientists, and then to turn around and be like, "Oh boy, actually, we need these scientists to go to space," uh, would have been a big challenge. So he was able to be like, oh, "I'm Bruce Willis. I don't want to go to space." Yeah. Yeah, and I thought they did a good job with his role. I said earlier I'm not really crazy about his character. Like, his character is shitting on, like, a green protest against oil rigs at the beginning of it, and he's like, he falls into that classic trap where you're, like, refusing to admit that something is bad because it is your job, and so he's like, oil's fine because it makes me a lot of money, and it's like, well, but, oh... Not okay. a lot of money. A decent amount of money. Decent amount of money. Probably 130 grand uh, in today's dollars. So whatever that would have been back then. But yeah, it's kind of kind of ridiculous for sure. Um, but I thought that his uh, his performance was decent. Yeah, he um, he was able to you know play kind of like the the gruff asshole. I feel like you know we've been talking about stereotypical Bruce Willis, and mm-hmm. I think this movie is where you get you get that stereotypical Bruce Willis um, for the first time, really. Yes, like I don't kind think of we've shown, had that before. Yeah, it's kind of shown here. Yeah, this is almost the same. He's a little bit more invested in this than he is in Cosmic Sin because he at least gives us a little bit of emotion right at the end of the film. But I feel like you do get that gruff, gruff asshole character that he's kind of known for in this yeah, movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, okay, so with that said, Josh, where do you think you would rank this movie? So, uh, I don't like this movie much at all. I feel like it does a lot of really dumb action tropes really badly, and so I'd put it kind of in the camp of Color of Night and Mercury Rising, but I thought that it was a little bit more competent than Mercury Rising, and a little bit less innovative than Color of Night was, which not the, not to say that Color of Night is an amazing movie, but it's better than Armageddon. So I'm going to put Armageddon at 21, which will mean that this is the third consecutive movie to be placed at 21, bumping each subsequent movie down a little lower level. 
Wow. Um, yeah, I also did not like this movie. Uh, I think I liked it better, though, than Look Who's Talking. But that means I would also put it... I think I'm going to end up putting it at uh, 22. I'm going to bump Look Who's Talking down mm. and put it at 22. Mm. Right below Billy Bathgate for me. Yeah, uh, I think I liked Billy Bathgate more than you did. But yeah, you did. I struggled because like I, don't, <laughs> I don't really like Billy Bathgate. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find it quite as offensive and egregious no, as no, 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 no. Nothing about Billy Bathgate. It's like, this is the worst movie ever. It's just yeah. like the most boring movie. Billy Bathgate <laughs> is just boring, correct? Yeah. It's less exciting than taking a bath, which is, oh, get some nice hot water in a bathtub, and then you sit in it, and then it gets lukewarm, and you're like, I guess I'm done. It's less exciting so- than opening a gate, which is like, whoa, what's behind this <laughs> gate? I'm going to see some new stuff. Oh, it's Billy. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> enough of Kendrick and I making the worst jokes you've ever heard do you know what time it is Kendrick did you bring your watch uh hold on let me dig in my bag uh, shuffle 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 <laughs> thank you for that sound effect uh yeah oh yeah here it is my watch oh oh my god what does your watch say by a tra- by chance it says look at me what does it say now? Oh, it says uh, it's time for the Wheel of Willis. <laughs> All right. Do you know what every time, do you know what we say? Every time it gets to be, I'm feeling that drink that you fucking poured me earlier. This is your fault. I introduced Josh to a Campari spritz tonight because I felt like he needed to class up his life. <laughs> I was like, Josh, you never know when you're going to be thrust into a boardroom of high-powered executives that are like, Josh, you got to go to space right now. But beforehand, drink this drink. Drink this Empari or Campari or Empire. Drink yep. this Empire mm-hmm. drink. Yep. From the Empire of Italy. Yeah. Good, good job. Good job. I'm yep. proud of you. Wow. So, right. what I'm trying to say in uh, the long and the short of it is it's time for the spin the wheel of Willis. And do you know what we say every time we spin the wheel of Willis? Every time we spin the wheel of Willis, we say the same thing. And we say the same thing because we always spin the same wheel. And the thing that we say is whisk that wheel! Shoot. I should have taken a lesson from the Kendrick uh, Kendrickster and set it away from my mic. That's going to be really fucking annoying at it. All right. Could you take this movie as... This is a really long one, so I'm assuming it's from Nathan. Could you take this movie as seriously if Bruce Willis was forced to perform the entire thing with a ridiculous Italian accent? If yes, what accent would break your immersion? Um, That wouldn't even be the worst accent in the movie. Yeah, so the fact is that we have a pretty bad Russian accent. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I could probably <laughs> do okay with this movie. Did you watch Black Widow by chance? I did, yes. So there's a lot of Russian accents in that movie. Yep. And they're not... God bless you, David Harbour, but your Russian accent is bad. Both David Harbour and Florence Pugh have a- Russian yeah. accents in this movie that yeah. I found to be hilarious, but not offensive. Like, I was not... Also, Rachel <laughs> Weiss, I guess, has her accent in the yeah. movie. But hers was, like, less <clears throat> bad, I felt. Scarlett Johansson somehow learned not to have an accent anymore. <laughs> Um, we're not gonna Same sp- thing with Scarlet Witch. She like loses her accent after that first movie. Well, she just magicked it away. Yep. Uh, I found those accents a little distracting, but mm-hmm. also in a hilarious sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know how that's this movie would have done if it had those same accents. <laughs> but the Jack, you don't know the first thing about the drill, and like, it's a me, a drill. <laughs> And you think that you're gonna teach uh, these uh, people how to drill? <laughs> like you imagine that? Uh, They've only been learning a drilling for eight <laughs> months. I've been learning for two lifetimes. <laughs> My uh, grandfather and his father before him were drillers. <laughs> I apologize to all Italian <laughs> listeners. It goes well with our Campari we've been drinking. I feel like Josh just really ruined all sort of breakthroughs we had in that part of the world. I mean, we talked about, like, all these different things that Michael Bay did egregiously. We're like, yeah, he's really bad, you know, with, like, other ethnicities and stuff. And then I'm just over here fucking being, yeah. like, a 1985 Mario movie on it. Um, yeah, you know, I I think that this movie didn't actually, um, you Do know. Do good do good in the first place so no amount of bad italian accent would take me out of this movie any more than this movie being bad took me out of this movie i think if bruce willis had a weird accent the whole time but it was never explained like he was just a roughneck oil trigger but he talked like mario <laughs> did you just say an oil trigger <laughs> yeah that's what it that's what it's called oil trigger <laughs> oil rig driller it's shortened to oil trigger we're, we're hitting the diminishing returns portion of our podcast. Oh, God. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Cool, cool. <laughs> cool. All right, great. Um, if somehow you want to uh, rate us on um, Rotten Tomatoes, too bad. If you want to rate us on Apple Podcasts, you can load up the Apple Podcast website. By Googling where there's a Willis, there's a way. And then it will pop up, and then you can uh, write in review. If you want to send us an email, send us a correction, maybe offer your inputs on our accents. <laughs> uh, you're welcome to do that. Williswaypod at gmail.com. Find uh, us on social medias at Williswaypod. Um. Kendrick, we've uh, started a thing where we kind of are trying to end every single episode with just a little bit of advice um, or a, uh, a recommendation. What is your recommendation? So I had one in mind earlier, but then I thought, you know, I'm going to recommend a better space story than Armageddon is. So another Apple TV plus TV show. Last time I recommended Ted Lasso, but I'm also going to recommend the show for all mankind. Oh, that's written by Ronald D. Moore. One of the writers on Star Trek next generation and Star Trek, uh, Deep Space nine. The basic plot premise of this TV show is, um, <clears throat> it is a loose sci-fi fantasy story set. The first season, which is all I've seen. There are two seasons. The mm -hmm. first season is set in the, um, kind of the sixties through the eighties. And it's told from a story where the Soviets are the first people to make it to the moon. And the U S is kind of embarrassed because the, uh, Soviet space program continues to show them up. And so the U S has to kind of continually make advancements and they end up trying to build a, um, a base on the moon. And then there's other like fast forwarding of space, um, the space race can kind of continues there is um, <clears throat> a lot of interesting things about that first season that 
I feel like is too much to kind of describe right now. But one of the things I loved was its depiction of space travel mm-hmm. and how it's only a 10 episode show, but it definitely is one of those things I talked about that uh, really shows you how harrowing space travel can be and how different from just things on earth are. So mm-hmm. that is for all mankind on Apple TV. Great. Yeah. Um, I watched like the first episode and I liked it enough, but then I canceled Paramount Plus at that point and I haven't, or not Paramount Plus. No, this Apple is on TV. Apple. Um, but yeah, I haven't gone back and rewatched it basically. Um, but yeah, I, I liked the first episode well enough. I thought that it was a little bit like reading a Wikipedia article that was acted out and less like watching a real life story. Um, I didn't really feel that connected to the characters, but you know, maybe I'll have to give it a second shot. Um, as far as my recommendation goes, my recommendation is to uh, close your Facebook. Um, just, you know, live life a little bit more. Stop reading your notifications. Stop uh, getting sad when people are making mean comments on your feed. Just, just you know, deactivate that because it's a slot machine for your brain and it's not good for you. So my recommendation is to close your Facebook app. Josh, how can I win the lottery if I close the slot machine for my brain? You win by enjoying life as God intended, you know, touching grass and shit, (laughs) touching grass and shit. That's actually sounds a lot better than Facebook. So I'm with you there. Yep. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of where there's a Willis, there's a way. Josh, do you know what we're going to be talking about next time? Uh, Next time we're going to be covering... You just wrote down asterisk, 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 so I feel like you're setting me up here. Uh, that's why I asked you, because I didn't write it down while we're going to be talking uh, about. Are we covering the siege? We're talking about the siege. Next episode, we're covering the siege. How else will I attack your base but to siege it? I don't know. I had to, I had to ask. I don't know. How else? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't have any other days. Ask, ask the Greeks, I yeah. guess. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter for some reason, um, <laughs> you can do that. At K Martinix. And if you want to follow me, you can search up Joshing Carter. Search up. Thanks, everybody, for having <laughs> patience to listen to us. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, yes, it's fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Let you know It's fun time. Shake time. Explain this to me. Uh, so this is uh, sparkling wine. Okay. It's like uh, American champagne. Okay. So that's all that is. And then that one. This is Campari. Uh, my favorite. They call them, I don't know how much into cocktails you are. Mm-mm. They call these ap- uh, aperitivos or amaros. Mm-hmm. Um, basically what there are is like a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Mm. And... Uh, in France and Italy and other Mediterranean c- countries, um, you have a spritz. The Campari is the more bitter of the ones, so it's like less uh, palatable. Uh, but it was all I had at home, so mm-hmm. 
apologies, but Aperol, more popular, sweeter, um, mm. similar mystery flavored, but you basically make a spritz, which is a little bit of this and then sparkling wine. So champagne, Prosecco, whatever. Mm. And then usually if you have it, a little bit of just seltzer water on top, but mm. this is what I'll normally do. But then um, you can also just drink sparkling wine by itself. I just diluted down the remainder of my spritz with the rest of that sparkling wine. So yeah. Hopefully I am going to do the same. regular sparkling wine. Okay. And then tell me how, again, this relates into the Armageddon movie, because you said that it ties in. No, it doesn't. Matter. Oh, I was kidding. <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to BS some way about uh, Yeah, so they have to spritz their ship up to the moon and uh, yeah, spritz uh, around Bruce the moon. Bruce Willis had to get really <laughs> spritzed up for this, uh, for this thing. Um. I, I read that apparently he like negotiated in his contract that he got like a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar trailer that's like a workout trailer for a Bruce secondary Willis. trailer. Yeah, and then he never used it. Like it had a full size like full workable gym inside of it, and then he just didn't touch it at all. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you meant like a movie trailer, and I was like, <laughs> what the fuck would that be? Just a trailer for the movie where Bruce Willis is working, out. working out. Yeah, come watch Armageddon yeah. featuring Bruce Willis. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Ben Affleck had to get real sexed up for this movie. Uh huh. And did you see that he had to get new teeth? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had to get he had to get new teeth. But he also there was a couple scenes they filmed of just people pouring water over him, and he's like, I don't know what that was for, but we just made me look sexy. I oh, guess. Oh god. Oh god. And they apparently added in like all of those romantic like subplot things like after titanic came out uh, and then they like rewrote all of those in there basically wow that's sad that was like my favorite part of the movie yep because it was the only not terrible part all right yeah anyway so we're gonna get into uh, it josh i'm really glad that i uh we came to record today do you yeah. know why uh why because i wouldn't want to miss a thing uh <laughs> Ah, Kendrick, you're bringing in those sweet emotions yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, there's another needle drop that I can't remember, or I would also bring that up. <laughs> All right, time to go look up the soundtrack real quick. 